As our children are being dismissed, I invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to Mark chapter 2. We read a little earlier. What's the one thing in your life, if it were fixed, would transform everything else? Let me ask that again. What's the one thing in your life, if it were fixed, would transform everything else? In other words, how would you finish this sentence? If I have or if I could get blank, then everything else would be okay. Perhaps this morning you'd finish that sentence with, you know, if I could get married, then everything else would be okay. Or if I could get this job, I mean, the one I really need, really want, then everything else would be okay. Or maybe you'd say, if I could just get healthy, or if I could fix this relationship, if I could get into the school, that would set me up for life. You know, sometimes... We are mistaken about what the main problem in life really is. The paralytic man came to Jesus, the one we read in our text this morning, and he wanted to be healed physically. I think if you asked him before the time he met Jesus, he'd say this, if I could walk, then everything else would be okay. You see, he thought that being crippled was his main problem, but it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. That's you too. See, you think that your main problem is singleness and being alone. And if you could fix that, then everything would be okay. But it wouldn't be. See, maybe you're here this morning and you think your main problem is money. If you could just get more of it. If you could pay your bills off. If you could have this and you could do that with that money. And then everything else. But see, it wouldn't be. Maybe you're convinced this morning that if you could just resolve the health issue that's plaguing you, a chronic issue that you face, if you could get past that, then everything else would be okay, but it really wouldn't be. In this text, Jesus does this, strangely and surprisingly. He offers forgiveness first before offering to heal the man, the paralytic man of not being able to walk. And so by offering forgiveness first, which would have surprised everyone and probably most of all the man himself, Jesus is basically saying, I understand your problems. I do. I have seen your suffering and I'm going to address that. But please realize that the main problem in any person's life is never their suffering. It is always their sin. See, if that offends you, Let me try to explain to you what Jesus is doing in this text. I think if you read it and you look at it carefully, you'll find this, that he's confronting the paralytic man with his main problem by saying this, you've got to go deeper than your suffering. You have to go deeper. See, Jesus is saying to this man, and I believe to you and I this morning, that by coming to me, Jesus says, and only asking me to heal your body means that you're not going deep enough. See, perhaps you as well this morning, you've underestimated the longings of your heart. Because if you look at this text, and I'll show you in a minute all the things that happens for this man to get to Jesus, you'll have to understand that he's resting all of his hopes on the possibility that Jesus can make him walk. It's everything to him. And in short, he's saying, if I could only walk, then I'd be set for life. 
See, he, he say, if I could walk, I'd never be unhappy again. I'd never complain again. If I could walk, then everything else would be right in my life. But Jesus says compassionately to him, my son, you're mistaken. And Jesus is saying this morning to us that if you only come to me and you want me to heal your body or heal your money or heal your relationships, see, it's just a matter of time once I do. If that's all that there is to it, see, a couple months later, a few months down the road, see, the excitement, the wow of all that I've done for you on the outside, it'll begin to wear off because what we don't understand is this, the roots of discontentment in our hearts run far deeper than we'd ever imagine. So what the paralytic needed the most, which he didn't see, was not what was possible with any man, but was only possible with God. See, what you needed the most, what I need the most, is not something that anyone in this place can give us today, only God, and that is namely forgiveness. You know why? Because the text is clear. See, only God, it's only possible with God to have forgiveness. Our theme is mission possible because Jesus made possible the impossible. And he does that in this text by bringing forgiveness from heaven to earth. He even says, so that you at the end of the text, if you may, so you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth, meaning in contrast, that usually you only think God in heaven forgives sins. But Jesus says, not now that I've come, that's not so anymore. God has given that power to me on the earth, I can do the impossible for you. Not to what you're thinking, but the most impossible thing that there ever has been. And that is to forgive your sins. Ah, see, forgiveness in the Gospel of Mark is quite a theme. In fact, the beginning of Jesus' ministry is not introduced with his birth or some Christmas story. It's introduced with John the Baptizer, who quotes Isaiah 40 which is the second half of that prophecy which says the, the Messiah is going to come. And the first thing that John preaches in John, Mark chapter 1 and verse 4 is this. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see, Israel thought, like the paralytic man, that their biggest problem was Roman oppression. It was financial scarcity. It was religious politics. And on a national level, John the Baptist is preaching to all of Israel. And here's what he's saying. You see, all the problems that you think are the worst things in your life, see, they're not. You know what you need above freedom? You know what you need above being released from oppression? You know what you need above financial stability? You need to repent, he says. You know why? Because it's our biggest problem. And so what's true on a national level on the macro scene is true on the micro scene pictured in this paralytic man. See, he is demonstrating on a personal level what was true in Israel on a national level, that our greatest problem, our biggest problem, our biggest enemy is not that which is on the outside of us, but on the inside of us. Pastor Walker, why is that so important? Because ignoring your biggest problem by focusing on a lesser one, can be completely devastating. Let me give you an obvious example. If you have serious, life-threatening cancer, but your biggest focus is getting a light fixture replaced at your home, you would think that would be nonsensical, wouldn't it? How about this obvious example? 
If you have a fatal heart condition, but you're more interested in whether your team is going to make the playoffs this year, something's wrong. But see, those are obvious. The not so obvious, you're a paralytic and you're focused on being able to walk. Big problem. Big problem. But you don't see the need to have your sins forgiven by God. See, you're here this morning perhaps, and you've come to church because you would like Jesus to do the impossible for you like he did for this man. But you have your own idea. You really do. You may not voice it, but in your heart and mind you do. You have your own idea about what your biggest problem and situation really is. Maybe it's impossible emotional difficulties with fear and anxiety and depression that always seems to dog you. Maybe it's impossible loss and heartache that you've experienced in ways you never thought would ever take place in your life. Maybe it's the impossible, impossible problems that you have in your family, in your marriage, that never seem to get totally resolved. But I ask you this morning, what if, what if, the th- biggest problem that you think you have isn't actually your biggest problem? What you think you need God to do in you and for you the most really isn't what you need the most. See, that's what this man had to find out. That's what Jesus came to do. And he's going to do that in this text. And I want to unpack it for you because what this man needs is perspective. And Jesus is going to give it to him. So let me give it to you. The paralytic had a big problem. And they're not denying that. Jesus isn't saying that what really plagues you this morning and the thing that really haunts you isn't a big deal because we know it is but what goes on in this text and mark does purposely is he goes out of his way to demonstrate how impossible this man's situation was you look at the text with me verses one and two would you jesus is back in capernaum this is his home away from home it's basically what we would call his headquarters and he is teaching now this isn't the first time he's been there jesus has been around the northern galilee area for quite a while and has become quite popular The first time he came and he taught, people were there in the house, small house, were outside the door, and that was fine. But this time, oh, he's done more things. He's done more miracle things. And he's preaching, and this time, it's not enough. You can't even get near the door this time. There's so many people there that you're way out in the street. It's a a great thing, and Jesus is popular. And the Bible says in verses 1 and 2, he's preaching the word to them. Maybe he's telling them, like John was telling them, that they needed repentance. Maybe he's trying to convince them of their sin. We don't know, but he's preaching, he's popular, and everyone is crowding it. Because they want to see and hear what he will do. And the Bible says in verse 3, and they came. They, you'll find out who they are, bringing him to a paralytic, carried by four men. You see, this verse and all of its verbs are used to show us the severity of this man's case. He is brought here because he can't come on his own. He's not just crippled in one leg. He's not just someone who can drag himself some places. No, he's brought there. People actually have to carry him on his mat, which would have been something they would have picked up by all four corners. And they're carrying. He can't go anywhere without someone's help. See, Mark is painting the picture of this impossibility, that this guy is helpless. See, it's an impossible situation, and beyond that, listen to this, he's desperate. 
You know how I know? Because the literal translation in verse 4 is this. They remove the roof means unroofing the roof. And if you know anything about houses in Israel in the first century, is they had a very hard-packed, solid mud roof with thatch on the top of it. And it was built very strong. And the houses are one level, and they have a top level that you can go up there. And usually they went up there to pray, but it had side steps along the side of the house, and you go up on the top. And that's how their houses were built. But imagine this, the rabbi, the popular rabbi, Jesus, is teaching. The crowd is there. And these guys are so desperate, they cannot get close to Jesus. They can't even get close to the door. And they're desperate. So you know what they do? They go up the side steps, and they go and they begin unroofing the roof. Now, you know this isn't their house. And they're tearing down someone's roof. Jesus is teaching, and all this stuff starts coming down. The mud, and, the, and they're big, making a hole for him. Now, this isn't a small hole. Remember, they're, they're going to have to drop a guy down through it. They prepare the ropes or whatever they have. They're desperate. They don't care what anybody thinks. They don't care about the cost of the roof they have to repair later. They don't care about any of that stuff. They don't care how unusual it is and what people are asking about why they're doing it. They don't care. You know why? Because this paralytic man is convinced that the... His inability to walk is his biggest problem in the world. And there's nothing that's going to stop him from resolving it because he knows what Jesus can do. And with that in mind, listen to what Jesus says to him. Remember what the man wants, but here's what Jesus says. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, if he was from New Jersey, the response would have been this. Say, what? Are you kidding? Right? Because what did the guy come for? He came to be healed, right? I mean, would not the man have at least thought, if not said, Jesus, do you see me? See the roof? See the hole? See the, what I've gone through to get close to you, which hardly anybody can? I mean, he might have said this, don't get me wrong, Jesus. I mean, forgiveness, that's hmm, pretty good. But I didn't come here for that. I came here to be healed by you. I want to leave here having the ability to walk. See, he saw his suffering as his biggest problem, not his sin. Let me clear up something real quick. When the Bible talks about sin, it isn't just referring to all the bad things that we do sometimes. Lying about things, lusting over things, although it does refer to that. But even bigger and more important that, it's referring to you and I ignoring God. It's you and I and our rebelliousness against God's authority in our life. And living our life every day without reference to him. You see, it's saying this, I will decide exactly how I will live my life. See, that's... What Jesus says about sin, that's why it's our biggest problem. That's why your most impossible situation is not anything outside of you. It is the biggest problem is what's going on inside of you, namely that we ignore his authority. That's why, and perhaps some of you are here today, many of us start looking for Jesus by going to church. You know why? Because we're desperate. 
We're desperate because our marriage is on the rocks and we're about to lose everything. We've made some horrible choices, some terrible, selfish decisions, and we don't know how to reverse them. We're facing down impossible scenarios. And so we come to God and we come to church and we start seeking Jesus because we want him to deal with our secondary impossibilities. Because the truth is, once he can fix our bodies or whatever it is that your impossible situation is this morning, see, then we can get back to our deepest desires. See, our problem is that we don't just need a miracle worker. We need a savior. We don't need a genie that can grant us all of our wishes so that we can have the life that we've always wanted. We need a redeemer who could grant us forgiveness. See, Jesus is telling this man, and he's telling each one of us this morning, is that you need to let me go deeper. You're coming here, and you are desperate because you think the problem that is so monumental in your life, and maybe it is. You think it's your biggest need and your biggest problem, but Jesus says, oh, you're wrong, you're mistaken. You need to go deeper. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books really for children, and some of them, a couple of them were made into movies called The Chronicles of Narnia. One of them is a book entitled Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in it, there's a boy, and his name is Eustace. Everyone hates Eustace. And Eustace hates everyone. If you read the book, you'll find the description of him is not very flattering. He is selfish. He is mean. Nobody gets along with him. And he finds himself in this book magically transported onto a boat. And the boat is the Dawn Treader. And so this boat takes him away on a journey, and he pulls into an island on the boat. He gets off. He wanders around the island until he stumbles upon a cave, and he enters the cave, and to his delight, the cave is filled with rubies and diamonds and gold. And he exclaims, I'm rich! But you know why he's so excited about being rich? Not like you and I probably would be. But he says, now I can pay back everybody who's ever said anything or did anything bad to me. Say, I have now the authority and the power and the resources. They're going to rue the day that they ever did anything or said anything to me. And so with that dream in mind and his tiredness, he lays down in the cave on the pile of all of the diamonds and rubies and goes to sleep. What he doesn't realize, the book lets you know, is that he's sleeping on a dragon's hoard. And to his dismay, when he wakes up from his sleep, he finds out that he now himself is a dragon. Oh, he's a big, ugly, terrible dragon. And he becomes to be afraid because this is how he thinks he will be the rest of his life. He thinks that he is always going to be a dragon, that he's always going to be terrible, and he's going to be alone on this island, and he'll have nobody the rest of his days. A short time later, Aslan appears. See, Aslan is God, is Jesus in the story. Aslan appears and he tells him, Eustace, you need to go down to this water. And he leads him down there and he says, you need to take off your dragon skin and throw yourself in the water. And so he tries. He gnaws at himself with his dragon teeth and he takes his dragon claws and literally begins trying to scrape 
his dragon skin off of himself. And he works and it's painful and he's hardly not getting anywhere. But through all the pain and agony, he finally scrapes and gets the dragon skin off him. Only to his dismay, he's found out that beneath that is another layer of dragon skin. And he goes and scrapes that off and does everything he can. And then he, he's so frustrated because below that is another layer of dragon skin. And in the end, Aslan stops him and says, Eustace, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And listen after Aslan does that to him, as he looks back on the event, listen to how he talks about it. He says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. He says, and when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. And when he peeled the beastly stuff right off of me, he threw it on the grass, and then he picked me up and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything for a moment, and then I saw that I had turned back into a boy again. Oh, see, what Jesus is telling this man and all of us this morning, that if you want what only God can do in your life and what you need the most, if you want forgiveness, see, you're going to have to let God go deeper. And I can tell you this, it will hurt. The layers of dragon skin on your heart are many. Oh, it's going to hurt when God tells you about your lack of morality, He's going to tell you, oh, you can't view life and things that way. And see, you can't act like that. And you've got to let go of the bitterness and the anger and the hatred that you're holding on to for all these years. The selfishness is going to have to die. And he begins to tell you, listen, those friends and the people that you chose to be near and to be like, they are ruining you. And layer after layer and the claws, they hurt it will feel like it's gone right to your heart, see. You see, beneath your impossible situations is your impossible sin. And there's only one person that can forgive it, and it's God. And so when Jesus says to the paralytic, see in verse number six, son, your sins are forgiven you. You know what Jesus is actually saying? And this is important. He's actually saying your sins are against me. Why? Because Jesus is telling to the dismay of the religious leaders that he himself is God. See, the religious leaders know that. Look at verse 7. Because when they, Jesus says that he forgives his sin, you know what they say? Blasphemy. They say blasphemy. You know why? Here's their statement. Because who can forgive sins but what? God alone. And the word can is the same word that's been true in all of our texts in this series. It's the word possible, ability. Do you see what they're saying? There's only one person who has the ability. There's only one person that forgiveness of sins is possible to give. And it's God alone. It's an echo of the Shema. There is only one God, and he's the only one that can forgive sins. Who do you really think you are, Jesus? See, but here's the thing. It's not only paralytic people who in that day would have considered been great sinners and cursed by God, or otherwise they wouldn't have been in that condition. But see, it's not the paralytic people alone 
that are blinded to their need, their primary need of forgiveness. See, it's religious people like these people. Well, see, they think that they have no really big, big sin problems. They see themselves outwardly that they do all the right things and they go to church and they try to be the nice people and they look at Jesus and they don't see him for who he is because they really don't have eyes to see it. They don't see that he is God and when you don't see Jesus as God and who he really is, they too are forfeiting forgiveness. And their biggest problem, their biggest situation, they thought was Rome something outside of them, something far away from them. But they didn't realize, and Israel didn't realize, and the religious leaders didn't realize, and perhaps you don't realize, is that your biggest sin goes everywhere you go because it's you. It's me. It's our sin. It's interesting and almost ironic, isn't it? Look at verses 6, 8, and 9. Jesus is talking to them or talking about forgiveness of sins and these people are concerned about Jesus blasphemy because they don't believe he's God. But while they're talking, it says this, they are questioning in their hearts. Look at it, verse six. They are questioning and the word questioning means in the Greek dialoguing. See, in their hearts, they're going back and forth. How can this guy say this? They don't want to say it out loud. But they're saying, how can he really claim to be God? And in their heart, they're murmuring. They're going back and forth. And in verse number 9, it says, why do you question these things, Jesus says, in your hearts? You see, three times, your heart, your heart within you. Why? Because the problem with people who think their biggest need is something other than forgiveness is an inside problem. And it doesn't matter whether you're the paralytic guy or you're the really religious, self-righteous guy. The same result is true. Unless you see Jesus as the only source of your way for forgiveness, you are forfeiting it at the same time. And isn't it ironic that they don't think he's God? And while they're doubting and questioning, he's proving it by knowing every thought that they're thinking. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here, and as I'm talking, you're questioning, yeah, can you really think that Jesus is God? I mean, you're beginning to say, hey, can Jesus really be the one to forgive my sins? And really, come on, is it really true? Do you know my biggest problems are? That you might really think, Pastor Walker, that my biggest, pro- I mean, biggest problem is forgiveness of sins? Jesus argues in the last three verses What's called in theological circles is Cal Vomer argument. And that's a big word that says this. It's from light to heavy, minor to major, easier to harder. And he says in verse 9, which is easier? Because Jesus is right. And if you're looking at the text, you're going to think, oh, how easy it is, Jesus. Anybody can say, oh, I forgive your sins. How do you know? You can't see it. But he says this in verse 10, purpose clause, that... See, that you may know that the Son of Man, first out of 14 uses, the true human, the real human being, the real one, the Messiah, so that you may know that my authority to forgive sins is real, I want to show you what other authority I have. He says to the man, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. Now, can I tell you something amazing? The same verb used in chapter 2 and verse 3 of our text says that they carried him is the same verb 
that describes in verse number 10 and 11, it says that he picked up his bed, picked it up, he carried it. Isn't that amazing? See what Jesus can do? The guy that couldn't carry himself now can stand up and carry his mat. What a reversal. Can I tell you this morning, your greatest need is Jesus to forgive your sins. That is the most impossible situation you face. But I got to tell you this, he's so awesome and he's so great that he can do all the other ones too. (laughs) The guy is totally restored physically and spiritually all at once. You know why? Because Jesus is God and only he can do the impossible And let me tell you, Jesus isn't adverse to healing your other impossibilities, but he wants you to know that before all of those and way above all of those, that the greatest restoration you need, the greatest impossible situation that you need solved is your sin and your relationship with God. You might say, well, Pastor Walker, how can he do that? I know you think he's God and the Bible says that he's God, but how can he do it? How can he say all your sins are forgiven? You know how? Because Mark 10, 45, same book, says this. For the Son of Man, same usage, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you know why Jesus could tell him and he could tell you this morning, all your sins are forgiven? Pastor, all my sins? Yes. But if you knew, I know. But if I told you, I know. Oh, do you know who I, no, I don't. He does. He can, if you're a religious, self-righteous person, he can forgive all your sins. Whether you think you need him or not, you do. If you're the person that's out there, oh, you know what? I hardly ever come to church because I don't think I fit here. Because if you knew me, I shouldn't even probably be here today. You're wrong. You're mistaken. You come here because you need the greatest thing in your life is exactly what you can find here in Jesus. I got to tell you, The gospel story is great because Jesus came and stepped into our skin so he could deliver you from your dragon skin and forgive your sins. He did. The question is, why do you come to him? What do you want for him? Do you believe that your greatest impossibility that Jesus can do for you is something other than your salvation? See, your biggest problem is not all the things on the outside, although they may be big, Your biggest problem is inside of you. It's your sin. And then the day that you understand that will be the day that God does the impossible in you. That day can be today. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, perhaps you're here this morning Religious, maybe not so religious. But I found this. It doesn't really matter which side of the coin you're on because all of us face big problems. Maybe even in our minds categorized as impossible situations. And maybe you're here this morning and what comes to your mind and what has been on your mind is not your sin problem but your situation problem. But maybe this morning, as God's word has been spoken to your heart through the Spirit, you would say this, I've come to this realization this morning, Pastor Walker, I need to let Jesus go deeper 
in me. I need a little soul surgery. Okay, a lot of soul surgery. I need to go beneath this layer and this layer and this layer. And you've come to the realization, I can't take off all my layers. I can't save myself. Only Jesus can. See, that's why he died. That's why he died on the cross. Because only he can peel all the layers away from your heart. See, Eustace said, and when he did all that, as bad as it hurt, he goes, he made me a boy again. Ah, See, if you come to Jesus today, he can make you a child of God. But only his cross can tear off all those layers that you have in mind. But he can because he can do the impossible. Would be anyone here this morning say, Pastor Walker, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never come to his cross. I've never recognized what his death meant and what his resurrection meant. I thought it was a holiday to be celebrated. I don't realize that it's my only hope of forgiveness. And I want that forgiveness. I know it's going to hurt. The changes, I know it's going to hurt. But I know that I need it the most. And I want it today by God's grace. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I need God's forgiveness and salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. I need that. I want it today. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just raise your hand, main floor, balcony. Say, what I need the most is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Thank you, sir. appreciate it. I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? You're a Christian here this morning. You say, Pastor Walker, I'm saved. I know Jesus. But I'll be honest. I think some of the layers in my life are still there at some degree. Still struggling. And although I know Jesus is my Savior, I still think all these big problems, all these impossible situations... I think that's the most important. But what if you change as a Christian this morning? What if you let, as a Christian, Jesus go deeper in you? What if you let him go below the surface, below the situations, below the problems? And what if your prayer this morning was this, change me? I mean, change me deep. At the core of who I am, because I know you, change me. My biggest problem is sin, because I need to be more like you, and I'm not. You're a Christian this morning, and that's the prayer of your heart. Would you just slip your hand up, and I'll pray for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Numerous hands. Thank you in the balcony. I see your hand. Anyone else? We don't always have invitations. This morning we are. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning, and a few of you raised your hand, and you said, I need God to go deep. I need salvation. I need his forgiveness. I don't have it. Would you come as we sing? Don't hesitate. Walking in, I won't change anything. There's nothing spiritual about it. But only it gives us an opportunity to share the good news of how the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace, can change everything in your life. You know, the answer to the question is, if I could fix this, it would change everything. Oh, you know what it is? You can't fix it. But he can. Would you come?
And for you as a Christian, maybe, maybe you just need to pray at this altar. Maybe you'd like to pray with someone. And we could have another Christian pray with you and help you and, and continue to even work with you if you so desire about some of the issues of sin you need to deal with in your life. Would you come? As God speaks through the Spirit of God, through his word, you move in obedience to what he's asked you to do. Father, the psalmist says, there is forgiveness with you so that you would be feared. I pray, God, that we would stand in awe this morning of the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ who gave his life a ransom for many. I pray that that would move the hearts and minds and lives of people this morning, that we might rejoice with them and they can say, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God because Jesus has forgiven my sins and will give you all the praise and glory that you alone deserve because you alone are God. It's in your name we ask it. Amen.